My Starb. Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and I'm so glad you're here listening today. And he's the barb to my star. Oh, I am? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're the star to my bar. Oh, you're so athletic. Real natural. Real natural. I'm here with my husband and producer of the podcast. Say hello, Mr. Rossetti. Oh, wow. Hello, Mr. Rossetti. Oh, hello. I love that name. (laughs) Sounds so Italian. Uh, so we're just going to tell you right off the bat. We are obsessed with a little movie called Barb and Star. Go to Vista, Vista Del Mar. Um, and Starring know, the incomparable uh, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. And the gal, we need to learn her name. We need to learn her now name. now I feel like a big jerk. Right. Um, so come back at the end. she's just as we'll, good. Oh, she's just as good. She, she held her own. wrote it and she helped write Bridesmaids. So, I mean, come listen all the way to the end. And at the outro, we will have her name for you. Um, but it's a... You you know, in the pandemic age right now, we haven't rented movies when they've come out, like new movies, because sure. going to movies was our thing, like... 100. Sometimes two, three times a week. Like, For we sure. had the movie pass, then we had the AMC pass. Um, but we haven't done it, but we we bit the bullet and rented this movie. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, so if you want a good laugh... And just like an escape... And comedy and just silly and dumb and silly and dumb and and, uh, a raucous jaunt, a raucous jaunt through Vista Del Mar, one might say. But anyway, here we are, and I'm going to get right to it. Uh, We've got a great, amazing guest today. Her name is Fran Costigan, author of Vegan Chocolate, Unapologetically Luscious and Decadent Dairy Free Desserts. David, I'm handing you this book. Can you give us a little book flip action? Let's uh, just two or three recipes that pop up right away. What do we got in there? All right, open. Up to brownie pudding cakelets. Oh, oh, I mean, that I mean, I love cake, so I'm gonna love a cakelet. A cakelet you know, sounds right? like a just a delicious bite, is what it yes, sounds like. Like Kate cakelet. Sorry, that was a Kate Winslet joke. <laughs> but just went awry. Um, the next one I'm doing very fudgy chocolate chip brownies, mm, and they look delicious. I mean, too. I guess that's okay. <laughs> and then um, chocolate brownie crumble I ice mean, cream. Come on with the chocolate brownie crumble ice cream. I mm, am here for all of that. We um we when you're holding this book right now, David. How are you feeling about this book? I mean, it's it's nice and weighty, well, like and, um, from- and gorgeous and decadent yes it's so beautiful this book to me is just so gorgeous and david actually bought me way back in the day when i was starting out in food and david and i had just started dating uh this one of the reasons i love this man right here he bought us a class together to take together which i can't wait for the days we need to go start doing that again once the once i started chefing and teaching classes we stopped taking classes we need to go do that again because it was super fun because every day's a class in our house oh my gosh um but we took a class with Fran Costigan that David got as a little like I think like a little date gift for me and it was a blast. It was a blast. We, Fran was uh, a delight and we just started. I don't. When did we start calling her like Mama Fran? That day because I think, I think if day. you read, we bought the book on this day and if we read the signature, I think she says Mama Fran on there. Oh no, she doesn't. 
to Dustin and David. I don't know, but she just has like this maternal feel. Oh my gosh, she's she's your mama. She's helping you cook in the kitchen, and you'll see in this interview with her, uh, it's loaded with tips and tricks. Like she can't help but educate, and that's one of the things I love about her. And I'm I'm so happy that we have her in our life. She's always been so supportive. So supportive, David and I. Since uh, you know, we met her in that class, and then I pursued a career in the culinary arts. She's always been so so helpful. But yeah, we started calling her Mama Fran just because she has that sort of maternal air about her but like like no nonsense like get to oh, it let's get to no the nonsense i love it i love it i yeah, love it she's, she's awesome. just fantastic so i hope you love her as much as we do and i know you will her name is fran costigan she is a culinary instructor cookbook author pastry chef consultant and the director of the vegan pastry uh course at ruby culinary school uh it's internationally renowned as she is internationally renowned as the authority on vegan desserts it's per- true it's true it's true ask anyone who's in food they know fran's name professionally trained fran was a chef in both traditional and vegan pastry kitchens before moving into teaching for over 25 years uh her unapologetically luscious confections lack nothing except dairy eggs white sugar and cholesterol Ooh! and fran's cookbook vegan chocolate dessert unapologetically luscious and decadent dairy-free desserts is available in german french really? and italian mm-hmm. editions see and follows the classic, more great, good dairy-free desserts. I just said C after Italian. That's not correct. C yeah. is Spanish, right? Or yeah. C so also it's, Italian. It's also Italian. I get it all C-C. confused. Well, uh, a professional member of the International Association of Culinary Professionals, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, ACF, American Culinary Federation, and the Association of Food Journalists, Fran is a prou- is proud to serve on the advisory boards of the New York Coalition for Healthy School Foods, Main Street Vegan Academy, and the Vegan Trade Council. Here she is to talk all things chocolate and beyond. It's the one and only Fran Costigan. <laughs> Let's welcome to the podcast, the queen of vegan desserts, Fran Costigan. Welcome, darling. I am so happy to be here with you guys. I miss you so much. Oh, we miss you too. And we're so thrilled that you're doing the podcast. We uh, we call you Mama Fran, always and forever, <laughs> always and forever. Uh, we'll get right into our icebreaker question. If you were independently wealthy and didn't have to work, what would you do with your time? Well, that is some question. <laughs> if you could just crack me up to even think about that. If I were independently wealthy, what would I do with my time? All right, so we're going to go to a time <laughs> where we could actually get on a plane or a train. Oh, one of those times. Okay, those I remember times, them, yes. Which will happen. We have to believe yes. it will happen. It will. It will. I would travel again or I love it. more, more travel. And yes. Probably the first thing I would do is go to L.A. and see my kids. And then from there to places I miss, I think I would spend (laughs) a month at Rancho La Puerta, the first month doing my cooking class and then just being there. Mine's a lot. My answer is along the same, I think. I mean, I don't have a specific spa in mind, but I think it would be if I were independently wealthy and I didn't have to work, I would travel a bunch and I would but I think 
I would hire somebody to plan it all for me and oh. like help me like just like really and like I would I would hire like guides everywhere who would like really really get me immersed in the culture because I just want to like I want somebody who who knows what they're doing so I don't miss anything well, you know that is a great idea yeah when I'm when I leave the ranch what I want to do is what you're talking about and I want to go to all the local markets and I want ah. to meet, I want to eat in people's homes and I want to meet the makers, you know? Yes. Who, that's all the most interesting, the most interesting. I'll tell you, we did with um, season three of The Vegan Roadie, um, we did a thing called Cooking with the Familia and we would go into families' uh, homes for the final segment and they would make us a meal. And the restaurants, of course, were very interesting. But the coolest thing was going in and seeing people picking from their garden and growing and 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 cooking things right from, you know, uh, really from garden to table exactly, um, and just cooking and, and talk, talking to us about it. it was so cool. It was amazing That's to see. So cool. That's but, always so great. We right. thank you. We well, you and I have plans. Then we're going to do some traveling and get people to uh, school us in all the ways. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. That day when we're independently wealthy, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move into my favorite question here um, because I'm always so interested. What was your first vegan cookbook that you ever had? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I think it was actually. The Ten Talents, which is a cookbook, I still have it, from the Seventh-day Adventists. And wow. it um, got, what do you call that kind of binding that's plastic? Like the, the I know, like the spiral binding? Yes. And it's a big fat book. And I will tell you, so there's no pictures really, but there is so much information. And before I moved to Philadelphia, I love cookbooks. <laughs> so I love your, you know, the fact that you're doing a podcast. Me too, me too. Cookbooks. But I couldn't take every single thing with me. And it sure. was like, oh, I would move some into a pile and have to go lay down for a while. <laughs> um, the movers are like, you have no furniture. It's all books. But and you were like, I'm going to make furniture out of the books. It's okay. It, just pack exactly, them. Just pack them. You know, I pack them. <laughs> I pack them. And don't you know, when I got here, one book that I <laughs> that I donated, I needed it. It was Molly O'Neill's New York cookbook. Of course. <laughs> that's found, always the way. That's the way. I found it in a secondhand bookstore here. Oh, good. Again. So you have, you have it again. Yes, You've been reunited. 10 talents. So I like to go through some of my older cookbooks, like Uprisings. And um, the book publishing company has a bunch, you know, Joanne Stefaniak had the Uncheese book, the book of tofu. When you start really looking at these older books, they're not necessarily as attractive as the books sure. today. Sure. It's a real comeuppance because there's nothing new under the sun. In this book, The Ten Talents, there's avocado butter, avocado toast. There is cashew cream. There's all kinds of things that we think we invented. Today. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we didn't. Maybe we made <laughs> a little bit better because our ingredients are better. Sure. But, you know, 
call it date butter or call it date paste. It's in this book. And yep. also, um, and the uprising book was very good. The macrobiotic books were good, food and healing. And then Brianna Clark Grogan had a whole bunch of cookbooks for a while that, I mean, she still does. I have them that are great. So I have Miyoko's now in Zen Epicure. Which version do you have? Do you know? Okay. We, we had her on and she, she, there were like, there's two different, do you have the black cover? There was one with the black cover. Do you have No, that? I have okay. the updated one. Okay. Okay. I, I want to get my hands on. It was like, she, I can't remember what she said about it, but it's just like, yeah, you know, she and I have talked that. about the fact that once you, I mean, we go, we go back a really long time. Of course. She used to stay with me in New York and come with a suitcase of cheeses to take. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? So People who write cookbooks, and I'm, and that includes you, know this, that as soon as you send it out, something new has happened or you would update something else. So yeah. she did um, Homemade Vegan Pantry. Is that the name of the book? Yeah, yeah. Such Which a good is book, yeah. a must-have book. Absolutely. It's such a great book. She called me and said, I can't believe it. She has flax. Glop, I call it glop in there with black tail <laughs> in there and you can whip it like aquafaba. She, and she had sent off the manuscript and then this aquafaba broke. And I said, you know, yep. yeah, when I did vegan chocolate, there, no, there was no mention yet of aquafaba. It was right after. So that's the way it goes. That's why there's yeah. always room, you know, there aren't, there are new things to learn always. And I think that's very exciting because our ingredients are vegan. Our choice of vegan ingredients is amazing today. Yeah. I mean, the plant milks, I don't, I don't believe that one size fits all. I don't use junk. I don't use weird things because I, when I was trained originally, we used, you know, I believe in quality ingredients and I like, sure seasonal ingredients. I don't want to make things difficult for people, but I do, I do believe you have to know technique, you know, a vegan pie crust still has to rest and be made with cool ingredients and have a couple of rests and, um, you know, and tell our, tell our listeners why a vegan, why, why a pie crust has to have a rest. Well, anytime you mix water, even water with flour, gluten forms. So gluten is necessary to create the structure in a baked good. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you want more gluten in when you're making bread than you do in a cake because right. you want your cake to be tender. So the ways, some of the ways you control the amount of gluten is for a cake, for example, I know you asked me about a pie, <laughs> that's it's right kind of flour that you choose you know there are flours that are like a pastry flour has less gluten obviously mm -hmm. than a bread flour and so on pie dough you're mixing liquid and flour you're mixing it you're rolling it you want to give it a, you want the gluten to have a chance to relax so that you're not eating cardboard yes and then 
I, you know, my way of doing it is so we, you make a rough shaggy dough, you just pat it out, let it rest for an hour or so, then roll it out, let it rest again, put it in the pie plate, you can let it rest again. It sounds like a lot of work, but it's not because it's just. It's more patience than work really is what it oh, is. Oh, my garlic smasher has the word patience on it. <laughs> It really does. Perfect. My patients rock because the work that I do, you really need patience and you need to pay attention. Yeah. You know, it's not like a soup where you can, oh, the batter doesn't look good. Right. I think I'll fix it. No. So I had to learn patience. And for me, this has become a real meditative thing. I mean, I'm just blown away with a few ingredients, what you can do, you know, get this cake or cookie or pie or whatever so it's kind of really thrilling but you have to pay attention so mise en place to me is everything and what all that means you know it's that you know it's that french term that means everything in its place but it you know if you if you your recipe says roast the nuts and cool the nuts there's a reason that the nuts are being cooled if you're right. making nut butter, it doesn't matter. If you're going to grind it into a flour for a cake, it matters. So you want to read the recipe all the way through and make mm-hmm. sure that you have every single ingredient and that you understand it. Or if you're doubling or halving a recipe, to, I mean, I some of the recipes that I make over and over again, I kind of know by heart, but I don't rely on that. I write every single thing down if I'm scaling it by half or I, if I'm doubling all my recipes right. scale up by a zillion, I write every single thing down. Cause you'll mess up one ingredient right. and be right. really sorry. <laughs> yeah. And this way you can always sort of glance and see and look. And, and if something, as you're going into it, you can reference it to see what you're, you know, if your brain's like, wait a minute, if you're having a moment and you're like, hold on, you've got it written down, you can see. You're absolutely right. So you do your mise en place and I kind of mise en place. It has helped me in a way mise en place my life, which is to get a little bit more organized, to think about making lists. Um, These are all things that don't come naturally to me, but makes life a bit easier. I'm, you know, I'm pretty spontaneous kind of person, but to say the least, but if you have components made, you know, you've, I have cake layers in my freezer. I have chocolate right. ganache always. So if you don't have a cake, but you have ganache, which is essentially a two ingredient at its easiest mm-hmm. recipe, you know, it's just an emulsion of typically heavy cream and a quality chocolate. I right. use plant milk and chocolate of a certain percentage. Keep it in your fridge or freezer and, and companies coming slice up a baguette, toast it with some olive oil, spread the ganache, a little bit of flaked sea salt. This is something I had in Spain. It is amazing. Amazing. It's it's one of my favorite things in your book, that Christini uh, recipe with the ganache. It's so good. Easy. Or you make a stiffer ganache and you can serve truffles and people think you're really Mm. fancy. Or in season, fill the little hole in the raspberry with a little ganache. And then the person who says, I don't, I only eat fruit here. They go crazy. So, you know, those are the, those are all the things that you can do. I think it's very important to make 
a recipe the way it's written the first time before you start making variations. But that said, the recipe that you're making should be one from someone who has written a reliable recipe. So sure. there are so many good cookbooks available to us now. You don't, you know, people will write to me and say, well, I made this. It didn't work at all. But I found this recipe online. Well, yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a very saturated place online when it comes to right, recipes. Right, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can find out now, if you go and you look something up online and there's a comment section, you can kind of gather from the comment section if, it, if it's worth diving into or not. A hundred percent. I agree with you there. But speaking of great recipes, amazing recipes, I should say, you are the author of the classics, Great Good Desserts Naturally, and also More Great Good Desserts Naturally. That came out in 2000 and then 2006. But we are here to talk about one specific thing when it comes to you and being the queen of vegan desserts, and that's your fabulous book, Vegan Chocolate, Unapologetically Luscious and Decadent Dairy-Free Desserts. This book Fran, it's massive. It's gorgeous. Uh, it, it it came out in what two thousand thirteen. Thirteen, and now it's available in German, French, and Italian, as well as English. Am I missing any other languages? Or that's what we have right no, now, right? That's what we have. Yeah. That's what we have. And listen, why chocolate? After two books on dessert, desserts, there's so many categories in the world of sweets you could have honed in on, and you zoomed right in on everyone's favorite chocolate. How did you come to that decision? I was spending time in bookstores and, you know, looking at books online and, and in my, on my bookshelves. And I had a lot of chocolate books, non-vegan that were gorgeous. And it just seemed to me there was a hole in the, in the category. It's like, well, why can't we have a gorgeous, reliable, vegan chocolate book Uh and I really you know I just kept looking there weren't any there wasn't a single one so that was it for me I'm like I have to do this and um well it's so true it's I mean you it, it is gorgeous so I get what you're saying about gorgeous chocolate books and this is a gorgeous chocolate book I actually I talked earlier about David and I taking that class with you and it was when this book came out and it this is when my love of cookbooks actually began like there was something so special about this book it was it was hardcover and the size of it but also like having the class with you but the design is so elegant and it's got these full page like drool worthy photos throughout the book and those are by uh, f- food photographer Kate Lewis mm-hmm. it really is just so you look at it and you're like ooh I want to make this I want to make that I want to make this it's it's a book that just by flipping through it and and seeing the pictures it's exciting it's exciting to uh it makes you want to get in the kitchen and figure it out yeah thank you for that well for sure you know (laughs) i had i think the year it took me a long time to write that book i was really careful about it and then you know as a cookbook author you send things out to testers i don't Uh send anything out until i feel like it's really ready because uh, what's the point, right? Like, the then point? you're just getting feedback back where you're like, oh, well, I already knew that. But what about this part? You know, Right. But I wanted to make sure that anyone could make the recipe. And so, you know, we've got chapters for pretty much everything. And in the chapters for the chapter, for example, for showstoppers, which is, quote, more complicated 
desserts. Mm-hmm. They're really not because I do a game plan. So I'll say, you know, you make this now and this now. Almost well, everything can be made ahead. I think you're saying the right thing there, though, because I, I don't think complicated is ever the right word. I, I think it's more when I think of things like that, like you're saying there's a game plan. It's just a little more involved. It might take a little more planning. Right. It's planning, but that makes it easy. You know, it makes it right. easy. I mean, exactly. Today, we're pivoting and we're doing Zoom classes, for example, or, you know, the class that you referenced. People come to a class and you make everything at once. That isn't really the best way to do, to be in the kitchen. You want it to be more relaxing. So particularly if you're making a layer cake, the cakes have to be baked and cooled and chilled because a chilled cake is going to be easier to finish, to to glaze. Sometimes the frostings and glazes need some time to set up. So you do that. You don't have to do it all at once. And that's, you know, and that's, and then you can get really creative. That's where you get creative. And I think that's really exciting. It's really exciting. The other thing, you know, is about testing recipes. So this book has metric, has like American weight and metric weight. And more, and I know that Americans really have been reluctant to use a scale. (laughs) Use an electronic scale. It's true. It's true, but once you get used to it, it's unbelievable because you put your bowl, let's say, on your scale and zero it out. And most scales today, they're not expensive, um, will toggle between ounces and grams, for example. And so you put your flour in and then you zero it out. And then you put your cocoa powder in and you zero it out. You put your sugar in and you zero it out. So it makes it really easy, but it also makes, you know, you're going to get a reliable result. I feel, you know, we want to use good ingredients to make something taste good. You need quality ingredients, time. So that costly time is costly in a way. So you want to follow the rules. Well, I weigh, I, you know, when a new package of, when I get a new package of flour, I do a weight thing because different brands will have different weights. So what I found when I was writing the book, I had three interns from the natural gourmet at the time had three scales set up in my little New York kitchen. Sure. And we all were getting different weights and we were checking weight charts and things. So you can, you know, you can round them up, but what you want to do with a dry ingredient because dry ingredients settle in the container, they settle. So you, I call it whisk, dip, and sweep. So you whisk with a whisk the dry ingredients. Then you put in your measuring cup, let's say, your measuring cup, overfill it, not spoon the flour in because that's a different way. Overfill it, level it, and then that's your measurement. But if you do that and you write down, oh, a half a cup of all-purpose flour from King Arthur weighs this, and from Bob's ways, this you're set. You're set, and and it become it becomes really second nature after a while. I mean, I still can't look at a recipe that's all in grams and convert it in my head and go, sure. oh yeah, that's four ounces. But it's it's really in the end you get a really reliable result 
And also people in, you know, in other countries, well, I know this from my students. They're like, what's a, what's a measuring cup? We don't do that. Right. That's so true. We're, that's absolutely right. Right. And in Australia, the, a tablespoon, the, the measuring spoons that we use is different from the ones in the UK. So I didn't we're going to be one big happy world. Yeah. Let's just measure it all. But speaking of ingredients, you get specific about chocolates in this book, beginning, uh, you break things down for us from the types of chocolates from unsweetened, bittersweet to white chocolate. I know there are a lot of people in the world that are still so surprised when they find out chocolate in its natural state is vegan. Can you elaborate on the veganality of chocolate for the person scratching their head right now? And also maybe about the different types of chocolate there? Yeah, are? I would love to. Well, that is really interesting because when, <laughs> when I announced I was vegan, people would say to me, well, what are you going to use for chocolate? (laughs) Exactly. Chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) What makes, what makes chocolate vegan is two things. And it depends, you know, on where you are in the vegan spectrum. But if I used to be able to say, if chocolate isn't marked milk chocolate, it's Mm -hmm. vegan. You can't do that anymore because a lot of brands are now putting milk powder, organic milk powder, even right in their quote, you know, in chocolates that aren't labeled milk chocolate. That's a filler. So we don't want that. So the very important, let's say you bought, you know, you bought a bar of chocolate that you loved so much and you go to the store to buy it again because you know it's vegan doesn't have dairy in it you want to check the label again because the smaller brands are being bought up by the larger companies and sometimes all of a sudden there's milk in there sure um also companies that do both milk chocolate and non-milk chocolate in the same place the first few runs which can be hundreds and hundreds of bars of chocolate that are made after the milk chocolate are going to have some significant dairy in them. That doesn't matter to everyone, certainly to people who are, have a a dairy allergy, that's going to be a dangerous thing. There are many bean to bar makers now. I mean, this used to be something, this kind of chocolate, quality chocolate, we had to go to specialty stores for, but not anymore. It's like everywhere. And I see it everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely more places than it used to be. So there are a lot of companies that that don't do any milk chocolate at all. So that would be a place to go. Also, the sugar. The higher the percentage, you know, let's say, a 72 a 75% chocolate bar or piece of chocolate. They're not all bars is going to have about 25% of sugar about. So, or, you know, vegan sugar is not filtered through bone char. We know that. And vegans are generally want to use a sugar that is vegan. Um, if you, don't see the word vegan, but you see the word organic or fair trade, that sugar is vegan. It, it is vegan. And um, 
It just means it hasn't been completely filtered and bleached and so on. A little bit of the molasses that is inherent in the cane is retained. And it actually, there is a little bit of flavor that you don't have when you're using white sugar. Mm-hmm. But sh- there are chocolates today made with organic, you know, vegan cane sugar, coconut sugar too, that adds a flavor that you will like or you won't like. The right right chocolate to use is the one that tastes good to you right out of the package. However, you need to use the percentage of chocolate that's listed in the recipe. So if you're making a frosting or a ganache, for example, that says 70 to 72% and you decide to use a 66 or a 90, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're not going to get don't call me. I told That's not you. the recipe. And, you know, last week I did a, a Zoom cooking class and people were cooking along. And one of the things we did was ganache. And all that was explained in the recipe. You uh-huh. know the percentage that you want. And, of course, I said it about three times. And this one woman said, <laughs> well, it tastes good, but mine didn't thicken. And I said, huh, huh. let's try to figure that out. What chocolate did you use? She said, well, I use chocolate chips. Okay. Don't. <laughs> chocolate chips are for chocolate chip cookies. They are. They're called heat resistant, melt resistant chocolate. There's things in that to keep them from melting. Sure. And the percentage of. When I'm talking about percentage, I'm talking about the percentage of cacao, of actual chocolate solids that's right. in the chocolate. If you, you know, there's usually around 30 something percent in a chocolate chip. So no, it's not going to work. Right, exactly. Well, and you said fair trade a little bit ago. Can you educate our listeners on fair trade? Oh, importance of it? happy to, because that's a subject that's really important to me. Um, you know, you don't know till you know. So that's the way I feel about it. Absolutely. I did, I did not know that there was slavery to this day, mm-hmm. involved regularly in the production of chocolate. Right. And very often it's child slavery. And, you know, I heard that and I just was crushed. I thought it's just an accident of birth that my kids or my grandchildren aren't out there doing this work with yeah. at best is dangerous because you're in the jungle. It's hot. It's hot. You're using machetes on the, to get these beans off the pods off the tree. So fair trade, or there are many names now. It used to just be fair trade, but you can look for chocolates that are labeled ethical, slavery free. Many of the companies have gone above and beyond fair trade. Um, and it, they certify, you know, there's some transparency. So it means that the people who are harvesting the chocolate beans are being paid a fair wage. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes schools are built and so on. It's, there is a website where you can check it. it it's kept very updated. It's the food empowerment project.org has a chocolate list. And so they list chocolates that they say, okay, these are ethical. 
these were giving them the benefit of the doubt. This com- these companies didn't get back to us. These companies not so good. So I rely on that as well. And the, I'm happy to say that the list of ethical chocolates are growing, as the bean to bar chocolates are growing. And you know, it's just super important. I can't, in good conscience, buy a chocolate that isn't ethical or fair. Right. Period. Yeah, no, I remember it was one of the, when we took our class with you, that was the first time I probably learned about it when I think back on it. Um, and I was, I was surprised, but then also so grateful to, uh, you know, that, that you were, you were so passionate about the message. And I, I haven't met anybody actually who was sharing about chocolate in that way. And it, it opened my eyes to it. Yeah. Uh, what are some fair, do you have a, a couple fair braid, fair trade brands that you, your favorite or that you, you recommend? Know, there are, there are so many now I'm telling you it's unbelievable, but um, there are, there are so many, so even some of the, bigger, the larger companies or the companies that have been around for a long time that do really quality chocolate, excuse me, that I hadn't thought of as vegan. Valrona, for example, is ethical now, you know, is fair. Mm -hmm. They have a sister company called Republica de, de Cacao, which makes delicious chocolate. They both do chocolate and, um, cocoa powder that are ethical chocolate. You have Theo, which was the first bean to bar company mm, in the we love United Theo. States. Oh, I got to go to the factory. Oh, did you? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. It was just great. I like, um, oh, there are just so many. I just, it's hard That's to great. There's, yeah. People can check it out at foodempowermentproject.org. And speaking of all this great chocolate, let's dive into the world of vegan chocolate, unapologetically luscious and decadent dairy-free desserts. What I find fascinating about this book is having the wealth of knowledge that you have and being such a, you're a very instinctual instructor in terms of your skills and how you meet people, the home cook sort of where they're at with this book. Um, It's easy to flip through it and find something you can make right away, or you can also dive into that showstoppers chapter and make a little bit of a game plan. I started, when I dove into this book outside of the class with you, I started with the bittersweet cashew cream truffles. I love these because the ingredients were minimal with just the cashew cream, the chocolate, the vanilla, the cocoa powder. Um, I didn't need a special pan or tools. And then you gave options on the finishing the truffles for a sleek look with chopped nuts or seeds and cocoa powder or even in uh, enrobing them with tempered chocolate. But what's your favorite truffle from the book, from this oh. chapter? You have a truffles chapter, honey. What's your favorite okay. truffle shuffle? So picking picking favorites is really hard. I will get ready because I'm about to ask you about okay, all your favorites. Okay. But you know what? <laughs> you know what my favorite one is? Is the chocolate orange tahini truffle. Mm. Um, oh, I'm writing that down right now because now I'm... Oh, that sounds it's so, so good. And, and like all the other truffles, you can make it ahead and keep it in your freezer, which is great. Unlike the other truffles, which are velvety, creamy in your mouth, this one has a little, teeny little bit of a chew almost. Okay, okay. I have become a tahini fanatic. Oh, it's delicious. love tahini. And when I moved to Philadelphia, I found out about a company called Sum 
Tahini, S-O-O-M. And it's, we call them the Zoom sisters, but three <laughs> sisters here founded this company. Um, one of the women is married to an Israeli and the story goes that they all went for the wedding or something and said, how come our tahini in the United States doesn't taste as good? It's amazing. And you can, you can get it easily online. They also have come, they have a chocolate tahini version too, but that I, this truffle is great after a Moroccan kind of a meal in a way. I mean, if you think about it, chocolate, orange, a little bit of tahini. Oh yeah. It tastes a little bit like you're using an orange blossom honey to make it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. in the book, it's this beautiful canal shape. And then I started making them by the hundreds for events. (laughs) And you know, that can be a little bit, you like anything else you think, how can I do this more efficiently? Sure. So some of you may know the name Alice Medrick, who is the absolute Doyenne of traditional chocolate. She brought the truffle to the United States. She went to France to study something else, philosophy, I don't know, fell in love with the cuisine as as we do. And she opened the first shop in San Francisco called Chocolat. Mm. So we were, she's traditional, I'm vegan. We did an event. We were seated next to each other. I mean, that's the way it is now, which yeah. is great. And she said, well, you know, an easy way to make truffles for a lot of people is you pour the ganache. I would pour it into a bowl and then scoop, right? Just pour it flat, let it get really cold, and then cut it into squares or rectangles. Oh, wow, that's easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's she- easier. She schooled you. She gave you a little, a little, yeah. Little so I, up yeah, there. I do that a lot. But I love those. I love those truffles. I they sound them. delicious. And you have a whole chapter dedicated to cake. Is there a cake that you tend to make the most out, like for a family gathering, or one you feature in more classes uh, than the others from this chapter? I think I know what the answer is. But well, yes, that <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate cake to live for. I make to live for. A lot. Tell us about it. Um, it's a very, you know, that was the cake that I said earlier was my breakthrough cake. And it is so chocolatey and so moist and really easy because most of my desserts are made by what's called in culinary school, the muffin method, which is dry ingredients in one bowl, liquid in another bowl. And then when you know that your oven racks are in the right position, and your oven is at temperature, not just that it beeped, but that the thermometer in your oven Mm -hmm. says it's right. (laughs) Let's pause right there, though. Everyone at home, you need to get a thermometer for your oven. I can't say this enough. Our ovens are incorrect. (laughs) You just, you've got to have a thermometer in your, and they're, they're super cheap. You can get them for like five bucks. Right. Listen to Dustin. I have well, listen, listen to France. She just reminded me, but continue as you know, because I have two in my oven. So I know if I need a 350 degree oven that I have to set my oven to 365. That's just the way it goes. Right. I, mine ex, mine's exact. Mine is 15 above and I've got to sit 15 below. You right. Know. So, you know, even, prof- even com- professional ovens have to be calibrated. So uh, yeah. All that. of them. The one I have at work, I've got like four thermometers in. Exactly. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
buy yourself oven thermometers. Yes. And, um, and you can hear from what I said, you know, the oven rack's in the right place for a cake. Pie is the bottom third. Cupcake is the top third. So my recipes pretty much are go in the kitchen, turn on the light, wash your hands. <laughs> I mean, if you, you have to read, <laughs> if you can read, you can do this. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this cake is really chocolatey. And this cake can be made as written. I have a gluten-free version. I'm not gluten-free, but of course, today we want to offer a gluten-free version. Sure. And there is a no-fat added version, which means whole food plant-based, no oil version that came to be because I made that cake. Rip Esselstyn wanted this cake for his wedding cake. Ah, And he wanted that. one cake for every single table and one for he and Jill to cut. That was a thrill. Oh, I love that. So... Yeah. So there's that cake. I also love the um, cram and for this time of the year, the cranberry pecan coffee cake. Absolutely. I now I re- I believe we made that one in class too. But if I remember correctly, and sometimes y'all, this is how it goes in a cooking class. Um, and I I look back on this uh, when I teach now, and something does not go right. There were students in it though. And if I remember correctly, they did not make this cake correctly. And you sort of had to like, you had to maneuver and you had to like get all MacGyver with it and you made it work for us so we could still taste it. But something, something went awry. You know, when you have the, a large class and their students, some, they're like, no, no, we got it. And then they take it on themselves. And then suddenly you're like, wait, wait, what happened? You turned your back for like two seconds. Right. But you know, I'm glad you brought that up because you can almost almost not a hundred percent, but almost always MacGyver something. So when I tell my students, yeah, see, I like to say suggest, but when I'm teaching, <laughs> I'm very nurse crotchety. Well, I want people to have success. So read. Absolutely. You know, do your mise en place. This is all what's really stressed at Ruby. When you are not sure or you're going to be testing a recipe, cut the recipe in half, or even mm-hmm. by a quarter, bake a couple of cupcakes if it's about a cake. But we had, in the days that I was teaching the vegan baking boot camp in New York at the Natural Gourmet, this was a four and a half day intensive. There was one group that had, it was heartbreaking because they were very good and they worked really hard on this cake. And I could see that their idea, it was for the final, wasn't going to work. But, it, well, you know, I think I might have said, hmm. Right. They were mm-hmm. determined and it, it was a mess. So I made some suggestions and the cake ended up being so gorgeous. We called it the Phoenix because the Phoenix rose from it the rose. But I let's say, let's say your cake didn't, it baked well, except you didn't bake it long enough and there was a problem with the center. You can cut out the center, check. The rest of the cake is probably okay. Cut out the center, fill it with fruit and cream. If you, oh, look at that. If you dropped your cake on the way to the counter Uh uh or you couldn't get it out of the pan, which you will if you 
do it the way, you know, I say right. oil the pan, right. use parchment on the bottom, don't oil the top of the parchment. But let's say your cake, you know, you have pieces. Make a trifle. Make a so trifle. Good. If so good. If your cake gets a little stale for some reason, or make it more stale, you know, crumb it in the food processor, put it in a low oven until you have cake crumbs. And then you have cake crumbs for ice cream, topping, for making parfaits, for even adding some melted vegan butter or oil or something. And then you make a crumb crust. A crumb crust doesn't have to be graham crackers, which are in the book, graham crackers. But they are in the book. Listen to all these tips too, yeah, you guys. You, you know, have to get this Julia, book. Julia Child, my Julia Child, said never apologize. Sir, that, proudly. Now, if you use salt instead of sugar, throw the damn <laughs> thing out. <laughs> and I did That's that exactly once. Exactly right. I did. Did that. you? Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> I was making egg meringue, and I used salt. See, that's what happens when you do that. I mean, we're going back probably like forty years, and I was. Oh, I so didn't, funny. Dustin. I didn't know how to make coffee. When I left <laughs> my parents' house, I could open a can of Campbell's soup. Um, but that I guess I lived on Sara Lee donuts or something. Oh my! I don't know. Goodness. So I just find this fascinating because I, you know, you your palate changes. You get used yeah, to sure. taste your things. My my boss at Luma at the you know the vegan restaurant that I worked at before Angelica Kitchen when I was on my no sugar kick he said, <laughs> and I made these inedible brownie crackers. Cause I used the wrong size pan too. pan uh-huh. size is very important. He said, Costigan, you're making brownies, not brown bread, put the sugar back in. <laughs> and I you know it's like, he has a point. So my way of getting, or, you know, doing desserts is I eat a really varied diet. I happen to love greens and grains and beans. I mean, I eat tremendous amount of vegetables and I have some dessert every single day. I tend to serve smaller portions. My truffle, not golf balls. My slice of cake might be smaller than you get in a diner and the plate is filled out with fruit or you can serve a single layer tort instead of a layer cake and fool the, you know, we eat with our eyes, put crumbs on the cake, drizzle an extra layer of ganache, hit it with a little gold luster dust and it reads bigger. So, but make a cake or a cookie (laughs) or ice cream that tastes like dessert, not like a cracker. Yes, 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 yes. And you have, I mean, Really, this book is just chock full of stuff. I, that ganache, I want to, I want to just touch on that because that ganache, the it's the bittersweet chocolate ganache glaze. We have used it so I've used it on so many different desserts. It's so versatile, like you say. It's so uh, versatile and satisfying. It's just luscious. It's so easy to bring together. We used it in the class that I had with you on the chocolate cake to live for, and we also um, used it 
on when I did that video with you. We did a video for oh, on YouTube where we made it. brownies Sundays. Yeah. So, I mean, we really have just, I've used it on so much. We made those Christini in class that you spoke about earlier. Uh-huh. We used the ganache on that. Um, so that really is, you have versatile stuff all throughout this book. And that ganache, I just wanted to tell you, has come back to help me time and time and time and time again. Well, I'm um, really glad to hear that. And you know, yeah, it's so great. It's so easy. And it talks to how things change because the recipe in the book says almond milk or soy milk. Now, uh-huh. those both work, but times have changed. And when I'm doing desserts for a group, it's not my family, it's not friends that I know, and I can't find out who's allergic to what or avoiding what, right. I make two assumptions. I assume soy avoiders, I am not one. and I assume not allergic. So I've been using oat milk. Okay, and it's working. works a charm. Now find an oat milk that tastes good because, again, you know, we have to do tasting. The chocolate will probably cover it up, but if you have, you know, a non-dairy milk that doesn't taste good, don't use it. You could also use coconut milk. Um, I will never spend money on water i will spend money on grade a dark maple syrup sure <laughs> and on sure. good chocolates and on miyoko's butter but uh-huh. um so not on water so you take your can of full fat coconut milk and you cut it with half with water and then you've made more or less coconut milk beverage right so you know that that's the kind of thing i'm talking about where we just have better we have almost an embarrassment of riches now. I mean, it's it's it really does just keep it's expanding thrilling. in terms of it's what we just have. Thrilling. Yeah. I mean, the recipes in my book, none of my baked goods use commercial egg replacer because there wasn't any. Sure. In two thousand and thirteen. Right. I mean, there there wasn't any when I was developing recipes. There, right. nobody was doing flax and water or right, yeah, right. water as an egg replacer. So I did some research and during the depression, when people couldn't get eggs, they were making these acts, what came to be known as accidentally vegan cakes, baking powder, baking soda vinegar, you know, the chemical leaveners and when people so they're, they're good. But again, you know, you can do better. We have better choices. You need to use the cocoa powder that's called for in the recipe. If you're making hot chocolate, it doesn't matter. Some people like non-alkalized, you know, cocoa powder. And some people like the Dutch process cocoa powder, fine. But if you're making a cake, it has to be the one that's listed in the recipe or should be listed in the recipe because the leavening changes. So I say, if the writer didn't tell you, shame on them, (laughs) just says cocoa powder, look at the leaveners. If it's the leavener is just baking soda or mostly baking soda, that cocoa powder is non-alkalized cocoa powder. If it's Dutch process, if it's baking powder and baking soda together, you use alkalized or, you know, also called Dutch process cocoa powder. And those are things that you you get to know because you want, you know, you want your result 
to work. Well, and you give a great, you've got all throughout this book, you've got sort of like rules and checklists for us and and things for, or like trouble, not, I wouldn't say it's not just rules and checklists. You've got troubleshooting areas. So we can kind of be like, oh, maybe, oh, let me check that out. Maybe this isn't working if some, because chocolate can be a little finicky sometimes, you know, I mean, you have eclairs in this book. So, I mean, you're really running the gamut in terms of like what you're giving the home cook, the empowering them to be able to achieve with this. So of course you're going to give us some troubleshooting areas. It's like the best thing you can do for us with chocolate, you know? Um, You've got, like you said, stuff for gluten insensitivities in here. You really do have options for everything. Uh, Cookies and bars on Little Bites chapter. That's where we've got the graham crackers, blondies, macaroons, and even gluten-free chocolate chunk cookies, s'mores, and then a double chip, double chocolate chip cookie. It's, uh, It's so great to just have this variety to see how chocolate is used. And you've got the, uh, pies and tarts chapter what's a favorite pie or a popular tart from this book um well that's a seasonal thing isn't it this time of the year people really like the pumpkin pie um i don't mean pumpkin pie that's in my other book pecan pie pecan pie pecan pie the chocolate pecan pie which i actually think is a little less sweet than a full-on pecan pie, which sure. I find a little on the sweet side. I love the raspberry chocolate silk tart mm. for the fall and winter. I would make that with glazed cranberries. Oh my goodness. Instead, because that's personal, you know, for me, I don't want to buy raspberries. I'm in the East in the winter time. The chocolate coconut cream pie, that was really an homage to my dad because he loved coconut cream pie. And I'm a big lemon lover. Mm, Me too, me too. Lemon. Oh my gosh, I'm just trying to standardize I think the best lemon curd I've had ever. (laughs) So I like the chocolate and lemon tartlets. They're really good. And, you know... The there's a cookie crust, there's a raw nut crust, and so on. But they there's a the pie dough, the pastry dough, is called the tender olive oil pastry dough, and it's really easy to substitute a quality vegan butter for a butter in a traditional pie dough recipe. But again, there was no vegan butter. <laughs> when I was developing recipes. So I went to a liquid fat and it's a different technique. It's really easy. Can I tell you that my grandson, I visited them two weekends ago and he, we had gone apple picking and he loves apple hand pies. He's only nine. (laughs) (laughs) He He likes to cook. And so he wanted to make these, hand pies and we had like a thousand pounds of apples. So I said, okay, but we're going to do the paste. You know, he pulled out my, I said, we're going to do the oil pastry dough you up. Cause he knows how to do a pie dough. And he watched the Ruby video on how to make this pie dough. And he did it by himself. I love it. <laughs> he did it by himself and they were so delicious. So delicious. So yeah, now sometimes sometimes I still that's my go-to 
But I also, you know, we'll do a butter crust now with a nice vegan butter. There are yeah, many. lots out there now. And lots <laughs> of companies that didn't have plant-based butter before are now starting to make it, which is really right, cool to see. Right. And beyond cakes and tarts and cookies and, uh, you know, all those good things like that that we sort of think of when we're thinking of like a dessert or uh, a chocolate book or something like that, you've also got uh, a great area where you sort of have all of these glazes in different ways to use them. One that caught my eye was the chocolate olive oil glaze for chocolate dipped anything you say. And I I love that. And the picture features pretzels and chips and breadsticks. I I hadn't seen this until I flipped through this time. And I love the freedom you're sort of giving in this book to the home cook to literally drizzle it on anything, Anything. (laughs) especially offering up this, uh, the, the winning sweet and salty combo from the pick too. Well, I mean, sweet and salty. Oh, yes. Right? It's so good. It's so good. So good. Oh, so yeah. I thought, you know, here I am saying you can have your dessert, but let's have fruit. But we were like, ah, chocolate. Let's have some potato chips and pretzels. <laughs> Why not? Why not? But on the next page, you've got the chewy date candy. So that's a less, you know, I I happen to love mid-joel dates. And um, mm, delicious. I learned by accident. Well, yeah, kind of by accident or happenstance. I'm always want to see what will happen if. So I'll pull a little bit of a frosting out or a little bit of a cake batter out and do something else with it just for the heck of it. So I put some dates in the freezer. And, you know, they don't freeze hard, but they get chewy. Like they taste like caramel. caramel. It tastes like caramel. Honest, I promise. So, I love that. There's a date caramel in JL Fields got a baking book. Uh-huh. There's a date caramel in it that I made and it was delicious. delicious. So here, if you don't, you know, your pots are all dirty or something, just freeze a date. And then I'll, st- I'll sometimes put a piece of walnut in or a pecan. Sure. A chunk of that ever present ganache. There, <laughs> and I feel like I've had dessert and it's, it's just, you know, and dates are healthy. They are. They really yeah. are. Or if you have just some leftover melted chocolate because you've been playing around with chocolate, you can make those fancy sounding mendiant in the book, which is nothing. Yes. Pop of chocolate with, you know how the, the photo is so pretty, but it came about because toward the end of the shoot, <laughs> we had a little bit of chocolate left and maybe like two pine nuts, one right. hazelnut one piece of uh, apricot and you put them on this melted chocolate and let the chocolate firm up. And it looks like this French thing called a mendiant, which is just a chocolate disc with candied fruit and nuts. Uh, and it, it does look so good in the book. And you were just talking about frozen desserts. You have a whole frozen chapter. We've got things like peanut butter and jam, fudge swirled ice cream, mini chocolate chip ice cream, chocolate Mexican spiced ice cream. So good. Chocolate coconut ice cream. And then a whole confections chapter where you give us the, the thing everyone wants, which is, is the chocolate peanut butter cups. We love, love, love yeah, those, of course. Do. And uh, everyone loves chocolate beverages too. You move us into that. And you've got uh, great things like a hot chocolate Mexican style. I love that. And um, we've got uh, chocolate vodka in here, I see. And then white Russians, too. So you're starting the party out for us. So good. It's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) What's your favorite chocolate beverage? 
Uh, aside from the white Russian. <laughs> <laughs> or did I name it? I hit it, I hit the nail on the head. The top of date thick shake. Oh, delicious. Because I had heard about a place out in, is it Palm Desert where all the dates are grown? I guess there's this one particular date stand where people, I was told, waited on very long lines to get this chocolate date thick shake. So I was curious and I waited on this really long line to get one. And my heart just dropped because how they made it was date, date paste, and ice cream. So, <laughs> like, that's it? <laughs> ice cream? I can't have that. Were you like, were you, were you just watching them and you were like, that's it? Are you kidding me? I, I, my, my heart dropped because, you know, you hear about <laughs> a place, you want to try it. Yep, yep. Wait, I went out of my way to get there. Yep. And then I'm like, and people are all around me going, oh, my God, this is so good. I'm sure it was. But I made it without ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> I came home, I said, I have to do this. So what could it be? So, I, you know, it's a cashew cream-based. It's super creamy, a little bit of chocolate syrup. And I've served this at a lot of events because, you know, sometimes – there's no oven or there's right, right, or you right. have, you know, 15 minutes or something. Yep. And it's so good. It's so good. Having a high speed blender is nice, but you don't have to. Exactly. You don't have to. And I also love, um, I don't actually even know if it's in the book, but having been born and grown up in Brooklyn, I like egg creams, which never had egg in them, but it was chocolate syrup, milk and seltzer. So I will take any one of the chocolate syrups in the book. There you go. Whatever plant milk I have in the house, either commercial or homemade and fizzy water and put one of my new, you know, one of my non-plastic straws in. <laughs> right, right, right. And be very happy and be very and happy with that. When it comes to syrups, there, this book, it closes out with a master's recipe chapter. I mean, this chapter alone is a book in itself from traditional fudge sauce to raw, ca- raw cacao sauce all-purpose chocolate syrup and the bittersweet chocolate ganache I've so lovingly fawned over. What was the most exciting thing about creating a master's chapter for this book? And, and what, well, what was the most exciting, but also maybe what was the most challenging? Like what was the both sides of it? Well, it was challenging to think about what, you know, the name masters, but what it means is things that can be used in multiple different ways and so for example you know an all-purpose chocolate syrup right right i wanted something that was all purpose uh thick fudge sauce too well why not the thing that i had the most fun with and it it was super easy but it strained my brain because when i was growing up there was the soft serve in my town was Carvel. And we used to buy these cones of soft serve twirly, you know, swirly things that were dipped in a chocolate sauce that got hard. 
And mm-hmm. I remembered that and I couldn't remember the name. Like, what is that called? That <laughs> thing that gets hard. So what do you do? You go to social media. And right. I, I went to Twitter and I said, anybody here know uh-huh, what uh-huh. Thing on the Carvel cone was called? And everybody knew <laughs> it was called a black, they called it a black bonnet. So it's a magic shell. And then I started doing some research and like Smuckers has one that you can buy. All it is is chocolate and some fat. So mm-hmm. typically coconut oil melted. Yep. I've done it with olive oil. And, you know, if you haven't got homemade ice cream in your freezer or one of the, what well, I mean, how many brands of absolutely delicious vegan ice creams are available now a million sure sure. i always have frozen bananas in my freezer so i can make you know a banana a nice cream some nice cream Mm -hmm. and throw it over that and it tastes really good but i went to a restaurant in philadelphia when we were you know going out and i think i hadn't ordered dessert but the waiter came out the wheat person came out with a dessert. He said, the chef wants you to have this. It's vegan. And it was a frozen, it was a frozen dessert, a sorbet. And there was a pink magic shell on it. Oh, like, Oh, nice. <laughs> and it tasted like strawberry. And they wouldn't tell me how they did it. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent two days at home and I figured it out. And it's of course you super do. easy and delicious and pretty, you know, like pretty in pink. <laughs> and, you're, and you're not going to tell us. That's going to be. I am going to tell you. <laughs> I don't know the, I don't <laughs> know the exact proportions, but it was vegan white chocolate. And all I had was the chocolate chips, which is not a quality white chocolate at all. And they're hard to melt. They're a little waxy. Sure. But I melted it very slowly. I added pulverized, freeze-dried strawberry powder. And then I added some coconut oil. And I just kept doing a little at a time with some, I had some frozen ice cream balls. Oh, no, you know what I did? I had a frozen grapes. Oh. <laughs> and I just wanted to see what's going to happen when it gets you know, when it hits something sure. cold, what difference does it make if it's ice cream or a grape? Yeah. And it's amazing. And it, it hit and it was hard, you know, and they kind of shatter in your mouth. So yep. that was really fun. That was mm. really fun. Or you can add, you know, a little mint extract. I'm not a giant mint person, but judiciously, I like it. Sure. So, yeah. Oh. I love that little tips and tricks. Well, when it comes to this book, we're at the the part in the podcast where I want you to give me your book brag. Book brag. Something that happened because of this book that you're most proud of. A book brag. <laughs> yeah, brag about yourself. Brag about yourself. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, I mean, my book brag is that I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> and that hey. felt really good. But here's my book brag. Okay, Great. so I went to an event for an animal rights group in Philadelphia at Veg Restaurant. Yes. So don't 
hate me for being five minutes away from veg. There are <laughs> I'm jealous there are all the time, please. People who say, <laughs> you moved to Philly. No, the thing because is, I would be broke if I lived right next to I would go constantly. Yeah. So I go to this event, and for anybody who has seen Downton Abbey and knows Mrs. Patmore, the cook, was there. Yeah. She was the guest. Oh. And I walked in and Mrs. Patmore said to me, you're the author of that <gasps> vegan chocolate book. Oh my goodness. I almost died. I was like, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a, that's a great book brag. Yeah. It was, oh, I love it. It was very exciting to me. And then we had a chat and turns out <laughs> Leslie Nichols is her name. Really, she's vegan, but she wow. was just taking cooking classes from a vegan chef in L.A. How funny. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Good, good book brag. I love it. Well, let's move on to your baker's dozen. Are you ready for a rapid fire of questions? I will try. All right, here we go. Most use, What's your most used tool in the kitchen? Um, I have to have two, and one is that's a that's whisk. Fine. A whisk okay. and a rubber spatula. A perfect. And what's your favorite recipe or technique to teach? Um, probably my favorite technique to teach is how to make some kind of a batter-based good, whether it's a cake or a cupcake or a cookie, because there are so many components to it that people go, oh, no, and then they see it's really easy. <gasps> If you pay attention. Yeah. Chocolate cupcakes or chocolate donuts? Cupcakes. <laughs> if you were stranded on an island and could only have three things, what would you what would they be? <laughs> <laughs> That's some question. Well I, know. I would have some I would have a piece of chocolate. <laughs> yes, of course. I would have um, maybe I'd have matches. I would have smart marshmallows vegan marshmallows so we're making s'mores then without the graham crackers but i have a feeling you'd find a way on that island to to gather goods and make graham crackers anyway so you'd be set with your chocolate your marshmallows and your your matches then um if you could pick up a new skill in an instant what would it be oh it would be learning how to do anything better on the computer. Oh, nice. I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, what's your favorite spice to add to a sweet? That's a very interesting question because I don't care for spicy food. Sure. I just don't do well with spicy food. But lately, it's been ancho chili powder. Oh, okay. It That's good. adds such... An interesting note, especially to chocolate desserts. It's amazing. I love that. And what's your favorite kind of chocolate to add that ancho chili powder to? A dark chocolate, probably about a 72% that has a little bit of a floral taste. You know, we think, or I shouldn't speak for you and your listeners, but I <laughs> thought for a long time that as long as, you know, all 72% would taste the same, all 66, they don't. They depends on where the beans were grown, how they were sure. roasted, this and that and the other thing. 
Um, so one that tastes good to you is the right is is the right one to use. I like ta- Taza chocolate, which is a Mexican style mm. chocolate. It's yes. you know nice to make hot cocoa and certain things, but they have a new couverture, a seventy percent couverture that's very easy to source and order. Um, anybody wants to know how to get some of these chocolates in larger quantities can send an email to me, franafrancostigan.com, and I can hook you up. But I love adding the ancho chili powder to that one. It's really I love it. Mama Fran's going to hook you up. Email hook you up. Uh, what's your favorite fruit and chocolate combination? Oh, raspberry and chocolate. Ooh, I thought you might say lemon and chocolate, but I'm here for it. Raspberry and chocolate. Are you a good dancer? I am. <laughs> I love it. Good, good, good. If you, I can see that too. I can see it. I figured you would say yes. If you could magically become fluent in any language, what would it be? Um, I'm semi-fluent in French. I would like to be fluent in Italian. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, me too. I want all of I want to know. I want all the languages. All the languages. Uh, I know you keep your balance between chocolate and greens, but uh, so what's your favorite cold pressed juice or smoothie? I like, I go pretty hardcore. I go, <laughs> <laughs> I go kale and lemon. Ooh, but I like that. That is hard. I'm, I'm I like a little bit of ginger. Okay. Okay. I think I'd like the ginger in there too. Uh, if you weren't a chef, what would you be? An anthropologist. Not a nice. You knew it right there. And cake or pie? Cake. Cake. There you go. That was your rapid fire. Good job. Those are good questions. Ah, oh, thanks. Well, listen, thank you for being on. This was an absolute de- delight, my dear. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you? What's your website? My website is, first, I want to thank you because this was so much fun. Thank you My so much pleasure. for having me. I'm so happy um, to hear your voice. I love your podcast. To talk to you. So people can find my website, which has lots of information, a lot of recipes and tips and things, francostigan.com. That's Perfect. pretty easy. And on Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest, I'm Good Cakes Fran. And on Facebook, it's Vegan Pastry Chef Fran Costigan. And everyone just, you know, if, if you forget any of those, just Google Fran Costigan chocolate and you're going to see this woman's <laughs> face pop up everywhere. And of course, you need to go get vegan chocolate, unapologetically luscious and decadent dairy-free desserts available everywhere that books are sold. Fran, I adore you. I'm so happy to talk to you and I look Thank forward you. to seeing you the next time I'm in Philadelphia. I Thanks hope for so. Being you on. take care. Thank you so much. Say hello to your lovely husband. I, I will. I will. He, he says hello back for sure. Great. Take care. She has been such a positive light to have in our lives. And I'm so glad everyone got to hear so many great tips and tricks from her in that interview. It was a little masterclass. Yeah, I mean, she's just so incredibly smart and knows chocolate of all different kinds, like inside and out. Yeah. And just such a, I mean, that's that's her life. Well, in her years and of experience, she's sure. just like, no, no, like this will not work. I've, I've made this mistake several many times. So here's the way to do it. And here's like a surefire way to go about it. Because no, no chocolate is really the same. No, no chocolate's really the same. And I will say about this book, um, it does get... 
she has it, it's it's not like a you know we all have different uh abilities in the kitchen and this book really is for everyone but she's great in that it, it's not this quick and easy fix it's for really getting into the world of working with chocolate and making some fantastic desserts like yeah. it's not just for throwing stuff together quickly and putting it on the table she is teaching you things in this book so it is a fantastic little nugget of ed- education and a great little mark she's left in the world with this book i love yeah, it I, so much and i feel like it's it's good stuff to like make for somebody's birthday like take time and make like a really nice decadent chocolate cake 100 percent, yes like the one on the cover is like so beautiful so good and i think that we've we've made that before too yeah but um most importantly it's the time for dustin's Oh, well, I don't know if it's what most importantly, but it's it's well, part of today. And actually, I'm not given a tip today. I'm not I'm not really I'm going back into the interview and I'm pulling something out because I think it's so, so important. I'm really just going to hit home what Fran touched on briefly in this episode, and that is fair trade chocolate. It hmm. is extremely, extremely important. And we didn't know this until we met her. Sure. And she talks about it in class, which I love. Um, and she educates people about it. But it's extremely important that we as consumers are seeking fair trade chocolate. If we buy products without considering where they come from and at what cost we become part of the problem by exploiting workers in developing countries by buying fair trade products workers and farmers get a fair pay for their work and can support their families and it's that so there's a brand called theo to tell you what what we buy in oh, this yeah, house we love, uh, theo. we love theo like we usually have two to three bars in the fridge at one time we go through them rather quickly though because they're delicious um but sea salt sea salt though david you bought he bought an orange and chocolate combo Which, actually I let don't... us hear from you I don't totally dislike orange and chocolate. I think my thing is that I like the basic Theo, like sea salt and chocolate so much that when I... I thought for some reason, I don't know if I just didn't look at it, but I was expecting my little seat, my usual like little square of sea salt and chocolate. And then there was an orange little kiss in there. And I was like, oh, David, why did you do this to me? But it is delicious. It's still delicious. Um, And we can actually get Theo at all the grocery stores we go to, and the price is comparable to the other ones. So it's our little sweet treat we munch on here at home. It is fair trade. But of course, you can Google fair trade chocolate to always get the most up-to-date list of fair trade chocolate. So we're in a great time in the world where you can literally find a list of anything you need to find uh, and verify it. You can go right to their websites then to verify it. So fair trade chocolate, please, please, please buy fair trade. But speaking of Googling... Let's Google. Um, we need the name of that. Uh, we have to actress and writer because she's phenomenal from Barb and Star. And I know some of you out there probably know it, and you're shouting it out right now because she Wait, is. Shout it louder. Shout it louder. Hear. We can't hear you. Wait, but what? if you remember Bridesmaids, she's the woman who's sitting on the plane with. Um, with Kristen Wiig in the scene where she's like, oh my God, the plane's going to go down. There's, there's, a, there's a, a colonial woman. There's a colonial woman. She didn't talk like, I just made her talk you like did. Barry you made her talk like Barry um, But she, she's like, there's a colonial woman on the wings. We're going to go down. It's that woman. So I'm here right now. Annie, Annie Manulo? I think that's it. I think you are correct. Annie, Annie Mamu, Mamolo. Mamolo. Oh, I like that. Annie M- Mamolo. Mamolo. Let me triple check to make sure. Yeah, we'll double her. check that. That's her, Get Annie it. Momolo. Oh, she's so stunning. So Look at her funny. There. She's so funny, and How? her and Kristen together are just so great. So Annie Momolo deserves just as many props as Kristen Wiig always. 
check out Barb and Star, go to Barb Vista Del Mar, and there's a lovely surprise at the end, which if you've been listening to this podcast from the beginning... You will understand without question You'll why understand so why special. this surprise was everything to me. Okay, so we're just going to get off it. Go watch yep. the movie. And so... Um, as we wrap it up here, uh, just thank you so much for listening this week. Um, please continue to rate, review, share with your friends, subscribe everywhere you can listen to the podcast. It is still very, very helpful for us uh, to get this podcast out there. Yeah, everywhere you listen to podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, super helpful to us, and we appreciate you so much. Come back next Tuesday for another episode. Until then, keep on cooking, and remember, it's nice to be nice. This has been a Muzzy Cat production. Oh, <laughs>